Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us slash sermons. We'd love to have you join us for a worship service this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road in Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. Today is the day we're going to look at, and I do want to make, when you leave here in a few minutes, the Home Point Center will be open. And before we get into that, I do want to make mention of the folks that built that out there. And uh, there's quite a few that helped out, uh, Justin Fultz, and Justin Rhodes, Caden Rhodes, John Haggard, Randy Minton, Mr. Phil, Mr. Phil Temple, Sharon Schulte with the sign, and providing limited clerical support was Bill Urshry. I did like that, that designation there, you know, that's what you do. But also especially Jake Minton, who, who uh, kind of spearheaded that for us, and you can thank his wife as well for give, letting him take all that time. Give him a hand, all those folks that helped out to build that this morning. We appreciate that. Um, last week, as we began to look at Home Point, I began to talk about it. I said I was going to talk about it last week and then finish it up this week. And last week, what I talked about was really the problem, if you want to call it that, the underlying reason while the elders and I felt that this was something that would be beneficial to our church. And uh, as we looked at that, and I, there's a lot of different things I threw out at you last week with statistics and all that. There was one thing that kind of, I hope you remember, I'm going to have it up here for you. It was this statistic. It was that less than 10% of kids whose parents go to church have any sort of faith discussion with their parents outside of church. And what we looked at when we looked at that particular statistic is this, of the the families that come to church in the United States of America today, they come to church, they each go to their classes or their little separate areas, or they come into the worship center, they hear the pastor preach, they listen, maybe, maybe they don't listen, but they go home, and when they go home, they never talk about it again. When they watch TV, when they're, they're going out and about at biz, or at, or for the business things that they have to do, when they come home from school, they'll talk about things. But other than really praying maybe before a meal, there's not really any discussion about the faith. And as we looked at that particular issue, we saw that a, a group of people kind of did a study looking at what are the results of that? What is the faith condition of our young people in the United States today? And if you were here last week, I showed about a five-minute video. I'm not going to show it again, but in that five-minute video, they talked about something called moralistic therapeutic deism. And if you don't remember, that's all right. But moralistic therapeutic deism was the term that these researchers came up with to describe how most young people express faith today. And what it really meant is they thought, be nice, God will fix your problems, but he doesn't really involve himself in your life too much. So the moralistic part, be nice. Their moralism was not based on really the Bible, but more or less just the culture at large. Whatever was the common thing today that said this is good or this is bad, that's what God wanted. And if things changed from what they were 20 years ago, that's fine. That's, that's great. So be good. And then the therapeutic part, God's there to fix your problems. If you remember that, a lot of those kids, the one girl even said, If God can do it, he can't always do it, but if he can do it, he'll help you with your problems, which was striking in and of itself. 
But that was the, you know, if you're, you're coming along and you've got to study for a test or whatever, you know, you can pray and God will jump in there like Superman and fix your problem. And deism, if you're not familiar with the term deism, it really just means God, he's kind of like a, a if you remember the old-fashioned wind-up watches, you wind up a watch and then let it go, it, it does its own thing. That's the way God is in deism. He kind of sets the world in order and then he lets it go. You can live your life, do what you want to do, behave how you want to behave, and God doesn't really involve himself much in your day-to-day life. And these researchers, they kind of called it a spiritual mush, that kids are kind of growing up with this, this kind of moralistic, therapeutic deism as the way they understand the world. And I shared with you uh, that, in a way, described me. I'm, I told you I graduated high school 25 years ago, and God called me back. But I have a lot of friends my age, a little older, a little younger. This is, this is them. This is their life at this particular point. They're in their, their 40s now, and, and they're the end result of moralistic, therapeutic deism. And so it's been around a, for a while, and so we saw this problem. Well, today we're going to look at how... God's word deals with it and how hopefully home point can help us in addressing this. So I want you, if you have your Bibles, to open them this morning to the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, number five, Deuteronomy. And you're going to be in chapter six of Deuteronomy this morning. Deuteronomy chapter six, we're going to look here at the beginning at the first, well, at verse 4 down to verse 9. I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind this morning to stand in honor of God's word as we read these verses. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it teaches us. And Lord, I thank you for the foundation that you've provided for our families. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we looked last week about what I just talked about. And that in many ways we're kind of farming out the spiritual formation of our families. Deuteronomy chapter 6, what I just read, probably provides the foundation of the biblical approach. It's called the Shema which is really the first word they're here. It's the Hebrew word for hear or listen or pay attention. And you see in that first verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's kind of a call to action, a call to worship for the Jewish people here in Deuteronomy, which is the final book of the law. And then we see in verse 5 a very famous verse. If you're familiar at all with Christianity, you've heard this verse before. In the New Testament, when Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? This is what he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so we see in the Shema this call to the Jewish people and then hear this command, loving God. And Jesus followed up this command in the New Testament. 
And so as we've learned, as we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the Old Testament, we look at it through the the lens of Christ, the lens of Jesus. The Old Testament was written to point to him. And so when we see this love the Lord your God, it's, it's to us it's talking about loving Christ, loving Jesus. He died on the cross. It's what we did at the Lord's Supper. He rose from the dead. We are to surrender our lives to him, repent and turn to him, obey him, grow closer to him. As Paul said, I seek to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And so there's this, this, this command that is, is given to us, the basis in Deuteronomy. And then, beginning really in verse 6, is how do we love God? There's the command in verse 5, but then how exactly do we carry this out? What's the best way to do it? And we can't glance over the verse that often, because we're getting to the kids part there in verse 7, that sets it up. Verse 6, and these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. This has to be loving God and, and obeying him and being close to Christ. That has to be on our heart. And on our heart, it's not just memorize it and have a list of rules. It's, it's become a part of our being. I mean, I could be, let, for, for an example, you could have a guy who works in an office. And at the beginning of the year, he realizes he wants to make his wife happy. And so he goes to his assistant and he tells his assistant, listen, here's my wife's birthday. Here's our anniversary you know, Valentine's Day, all the major holidays. On these days, make sure she gets some flowers. And I'm done. There you go. Or you could have the guy that actually on those dates goes out of his way to make sure he gets these things for his wife because she is on his heart. Now, in both ways, she gets flowers, but one way has a little more impact, doesn't it? Some people are like, oh, man, Valentine's Day is this week. Yes, guys. There you go. That's your pastoral help for this week. It does come up this week. Just reminding myself. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, so you see this on your heart. It's a part of who we are. And so God, through Deuteronomy, through Moses, as he writes this, he calls the nation to action, gives them the command to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might. And then how to do it. It's on your heart. And then he gives the command, then teach it diligently to your children. It is the prioritization of the family. This is the the way God set it up. We can't farm out the spiritual formation of our children. All of the commands you see in the New Testament, when Paul writes to dads in Ephesians, when he writes to dads and moms in Colossians, when you see these commands, it's the basis we see here goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Love God, and then everywhere you go, when you're in your house, when you go outside, when you sit down, I mean, we don't have them on our, you know, if you ever see the Jewish people that have the little things in their head, this is where it comes from. It's the way God set it up. So how are we doing it that? Well, if you remember last week, if you were here, you had those little things to fill out. Do you remember that? Okay, a couple people nodded their heads. I got like 140 of them back, so thank you very much. And today we're going to look at some of the results. Now, some of you, I don't know what you circled, like the wrong part of the page or whatever, but, you know, I got enough answers to give you some, some, some things that back, back to you that may help. So I want to start with the ones on the front, the, the married folks. Now, do you remember there was a little box, and you had the one was low confidence, five was the highest confidence? I want to focus on those because there were two questions, and then you circled on a scale of one to five. Either I wasn't confident at all or I was very confident. The first question was, how confident are you that your marriage would last till one or one of you die? 84% of you circled five. You had the highest confidence that your marriage would last till one or two of you. Now, I don't know if that's because your spouse was sitting right beside you. As I said last week, and you're like, if I don't circle five, I know it won't last. But uh, 
I don't know, but that was, that was pretty high. That was pretty good. But it, the same folks that answered that, there was the second question, which I think it's important to see the distinction here. The second question said, how, how confident are you that your marriage is God-honoring? Only 50% circled five for that one. And so there was a pretty big discrepancy. In other words, there's a lot of folks that say, listen, I'm pretty confident that our marriage is going to last, but I'm not really sure if it's a marriage that honors God. Okay? So then we could look at the singles. The singles. Now, in case you wondered, about 20% of the people that filled these out were single. I don't know if all of them had never been married or some of them had been married at one point in their life, but we had quite a few respond there. And the question that was posed to the singles that planned on getting married or hoped to marry was how confident that their marriage would last and be God-honoring. So we kind of combined both questions. And for the singles that answered that, that hoped to marry, 60% circled the five. And there were various ones. So a pretty, you know, a little bit more than the majority. But these are people that still, I mean, they don't have a marriage that's not really good to sit there and say, well, I don't think it's going to make it. This is all just hope, potential. And still only 60% circled five. Well, let's get to the kids, the parents part. Because this is where it really kind of takes off. The parent question was basically how confident you are that your child will mature into a a Christian adult. Really is kind of the summary of that question. Only 20% of parents circled five. Now, of course, with this one, some of you have adult children, so you even wrote that. My kids are adults. I pretty much know the answer to this question, at least as of right now. And some of you had multiple children, and you gave me different numbers depending on which child you were talking about, which is true. But the overwhelming majority of the answers were three, right in the middle, which is kind of a eh, maybe. I'm kind of hoping that they will. I think maybe they will, but... I'm not blind to reality of everything you talked about. You know, when you look at the statistics, you look at the world, it's it's three for the vast majority. And so when you look at that, and I know it was quick and you're circling these things kind of in a hurry. I don't know if everybody put a lot of thought into it, but I I trust that you, you did some. And the takeaway really from it is this, that many of us are not overly confident that our families are or will be God honoring. We're kind of hoping we're, we're maybe there, but not everyone way up there. Now, as we look at that and we look at what we see in Deuteronomy, I'm going to ask you some questions this morning. This isn't for you to answer out loud. It's just for you to kind of think about and ponder and that kind of thing. Here's the first question. If you were 50-50 on whether or not your child would graduate high school, let's just say your child's somewhere between the age of 8 and 15, and you looked at him and you said, you know what, when they get to be a senior in high school, that's a 50-50 shot. Would you continue just doing everything the exact same way you've been doing it, or would you make some changes? Would you at least maybe go to some more parent-teacher conferences or check on their homework a little bit more? Do something because you kind of go, you know what, it's probably pretty important that they graduate. Or if we're talking about marriages, if you had a 50-50 thought, or if you thought there's about a 50% chance that you would go bankrupt by the end of this year, Would you continue to live at the same, doing everything the exact same way you've been doing it? Or do you think you and your spouse might say, hey, we might need to make a couple of changes because I'm pretty sure maybe we might go bankrupt. We might lose it all. 
Well, more than likely, in either of those scenarios, you, you, you probably would. I know you would. Of course you would change some things. You would do some things different. You know how I can know this one way? Is if I were to go to your children, those of you who have kids that are still in school, and I were to ask those kids without you around, do your parents check on your academics? I can almost guarantee you every kid will say yes. When you get a report card, do they look at it? Well, yeah. Some of them would be happy. I mean, do they ever ask you about your grades? Do they ever check on your homework? Do they ever go and talk to the teacher? Do they, you know, if you get in trouble, does it concern them? I can pretty much guarantee you all the kids are going to say, yes, of course. Why? Because what they do in school is important to you. What if I ask them if, do your parents ever check on your spiritual progress? Do they ever ask what you're studying in Scripture? Do they ever ask what's going on in your faith journey? Do they ever check on your homework at church? What would they say? And if you could talk about husbands and wives, if I, I know that if you thought you were going bankrupt, you would probably change something because I guarantee you all of us in here have conversations with our spouses about money, don't we? Probably some of you this morning, yesterday, whenever it was, you probably have some conversations about how the money gets spent. Why? Because you know that's important. If things aren't right, you're going to deal with it. Well, why is it with our faith that we just, we struggle with this, don't we? In many ways, it's because we have individualized our faith. We go back to that very first statistic that less than 10% of us have many conversations or any type of conversation at home with our kids about spiritual things. We just... We go to church, we, we study the Bible, but often we just keep it to ourselves. And what does the Bible show us here in Deuteronomy? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Have these commands on your heart and then teach them diligently to your children. It should just flow out of us. If you were to go to my wife and kids and ask them about professional ice hockey they would surprise you with how much they know. This is Arkansas, professional ice hockey. The NHL is not, with the exception of a couple of people, most people have, well, okay, I know that it's, it's there, but they can tell you who won the Stanley Cup last year. They could tell you a lot about the Pittsburgh Penguins. They could tell you about that. Why? Because this is important. You think my wife paid attention to the Pittsburgh Penguins before we got married? I'll answer that. No, no, she did not pay attention to the Pittsburgh Penguins. But because it's important to me, because it's a part of who I am, it has bled into our relationship and to my kids, and it's part of our family. I know things that are important to Julie. She's really into, like, names and things like that. I didn't know anything about that stuff. But it's important. It bleeds into our family. It's part of, if you want, verse 6, it's on our hearts. I'm sure if I were to talk to people in your family, there are things about your family that just go from generation to generation that you've passed on. Why? Because it was, it was important to you. You didn't keep it to yourself. You didn't just have this little area of your life that's just for you. You wanted to, to pass it on. And this is what we see in Deuteronomy. So as we kind of move towards home point, I want to ask you some questions. And just This is, I'm asking a lot, but just continue to ponder over these. When we think about dealing with our faith, with our family members, with our kids, with our spouses and all of that, how, let me ask you if you, you do these things. Here's question one. When was the last time you and your spouse discussed Scripture together? When was the last time? Not just, okay, the pastor preached on Deuteronomy today, but something from your, your personal devotional time. 
something you read and you guys sat down and just talked about it? Or what about this? Have you ever just studied a passage of Scripture together, independent of anything else? Not because it's what the pastor's preaching on, but you both said, you know what, let's look at the book of Jude together and talk about it and study it. When was the last time you sat down and talked about your goals as a couple or as a family? In other words, you have children, whether they're adult children, you have grandchildren, you sit there and ever take time to say, what do we want to do this year in 2019? What are some things we want to accomplish or teach or train or, or instill in our children or, or in our own marriages? What are some goals I have as a, as a father, as a husband that I share with my wife? She shares back with me and we say, all right, let's, how do we help each other get to that? If you're single, when was the last time you sat down and asked God what he would want for you and a spouse? We spend a lot of time on television and the internet and social media learning all about what the world teaches us. But what about what the word of God shows us or what you should be becoming if you want to get married? All right, go back to what about with parents? Here's a good question. When was the last time you asked your teenager or your adult child what they believed about the faith? I didn't share this, but when I was going through all of Home Point and preparing for this and that video that I showed you last week, there were a lot of other videos that was from a documentary. But that guy that was that did all of this, re- and the thing he said, there's 1,400 teenagers, young adults that he interviewed. And the thing he said, there are lots of things that surprised him, but one of the things that really, really shocked him was how many young people, you know, teenagers up to their early 20s, had never ever been asked what they believed about anything they would talk about they had been taught things and people had you know told them this that and the other thing but never had an adult or an authority figure sit down and just ask them what do you believe about fill in the blank and he said you know they lots of people just assume everything's going along fine our children are learning things and he's like not when you ask them about it they have totally different beliefs but they've never been asked Do you regularly pray with your kids? That was one of the questions on there. By the way, I didn't say this, but 40% of the married couples prayed at least twice a week. Here's a good one. When have you ever watched a television show or a movie and discussed the faith issues together as a family with your your kids, your grandchildren? Watch the show. You're going to see in Home Point, that's part of it. To sit there and look at our culture and be able to have... You know, interact with it and say, well, how does Christianity deal with the issue that we just watched? Do we regularly live out our faith with our kids? Have you ever gone on a mission trip? Do you as a family, have you adopted some sort of mission project that you as a family take on where you're praying for somebody or giving to something? Or These are, I mean, I don't know how you're going to answer these questions, but just as we think of these things, we see that, yeah, these could be really important, but they're hard. They're difficult. These are not normal things. So this is where we get to home point. You're going, finally, after like I'm talking about it in two weeks, we're finally getting to what it is. Well, this is how home point works. I'll divide it up into two basic things. You can go ahead and put the picture. Hopefully it comes up of it. If not, that's all right. When you go out there, you're going to see it's a big wall with these little brackets on it and pieces of paper in it and a bookshelf on the right. Okay? So all of the brackets on the left are what are called pointer cards. All right? When you pull them out, there'll be a piece of paper like this. You open them up. 
And what they are, there's really two sets of these things. The first one are life stage. And so it'll deal with being single to wanting to get married, to engage, to having children, to having adolescents, all the way up to empty nest. And so it catches all of these different stages of life that you have. And on the inside, it just talks a little bit about it, gives you a little bit of biblical information about that stage of life. And on the back page is a resource page. And it'll have lists of books or websites and certain things that we offer here at the church that might help you if you're at that stage of your life. And the books, many of them are available in the book shelf. So you look, oh, you know, I'm wanting to have children and I have some questions about that. There's some resources here that I can go over and get. And these are things that you can take home and you can apply. You can take the book with you. If you want to donate a little money to help offset the cost of the book, if you can't bring it back, go right ahead. But we want you to take the book. Along with the life stage ones are also, just to the little bit to the right of it, are, are, are parts of, are just things in life that are, are special circumstances. So let's say you have, one of them is prodigal child. You have a child that grew up in the faith and now they've walked away. And this, you open up, it gives you some things to read, some things to pray, and on the back, some resources, some books to read, people that have gone through it, some of the things they've prayed for, how to do it, how to address that. And they have those for, there's like 20 different, I mean, all over the map. Prodigal children, difficult kids, troubled marriage, blended families. There's even one in there for the military. There's lots of stuff in this, as you'll see as we kind of unload it over time, for people that, you know, my my spouse is 5,000 miles away. And so that first section is just for, for those. It's just pointers as you're dealing with particular issues in life, how to help you deal with those and how to deal with those when you're at home. But what I really like are the last, the last two little brackets there. These are called recipe cards. And what's interesting about the recipe card, it's not just to make food. It's to take it and it gives you practical ways to go home with your wife or your husband or your kids and do things where you have faith conversations. And so for the marriage one, it might be a marriage night. So you pull it out and they'll tell you exactly what to do in the front and on the back. It may have a series of questions or things that you do or activities that you engage in. And you just, there's a couple, three of those over there. I'll change them out month to month so you don't have the same ones over and over. And it really helps you just initiate things that are hard to initiate on their own. Faith conversations, discussions about the Bible. For teenagers, there's there's certain movies to watch with specific questions that you would ask after the movie's over as you just talk to your kids about, well, what do you think about this or that from this particular movie? And fun activities with your children to kind of start to instill the faith with your kids. And we would change these out from time to time. For the marriage ones, there's also sometimes they want you to listen to a podcast. Well, on the bottom shelf, there's some CDs if you still have those things and you have to listen to it on a CD. Or you can go to the web page, which I'll talk about in a second, and you can listen to all the podcasts on the web page. And so you would listen to that on your way to work or wherever it is. And it gives you some things about the date night that you're going to go on. And then you go out on the date. And you'll talk about things, some of those questions that I just asked you that you go, yeah, those are probably important things about talking to my spouse about our goals as a couple or studying scripture. You shall, these words, you do that. So when we read in Deuteronomy, you shall, these words shall be on your heart and teach them diligently to your children. You can do that. And the church does what it's supposed to do. It comes alongside you, alongside you and helps and like I say, these things change from time to time. Now on the web page, I tried, if you can do the web page thing, I made a little video, and if it doesn't work, then 
Okay, you, you go to the webpage, you scroll down, there are all of the things, you can click on them. When you click on them, they pop up. At the very bottom of the page are all the podcasts. You can listen to the podcast. They'll change out from time to time. So if you don't have a CD player, you're not, you know, we're going to get cassette tapes too, but we can't go that old school on you. But there you go. You can listen to them. Now, before I, I, I let us go here and dismiss this in just a minute to go out there and take a look at it, I didn't read the entire section of Deuteronomy, and I want to do that before we leave. God gives the command in verses 4 through 9. Then in verses 10, he kind of gives a reason. Verse 10, he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. So I think of our, our culture and I think of moralistic, therapeutic deism and all that. I think of this ending. We live in a culture that is extremely comfortable. We have gotten to the point where, I mean, I, I, we talked about this in staff meeting. We we're looking at how the poorest of the poor in America live. Many of them have multiple television sets. They have more than two cars. They have the Internet, air conditioning, food. A half a percent of them have a jacuzzi. We are just like this. And he says there, take care lest you forget the Lord. When things are comfortable and easy, it's easy to let God become deistic. He's off to the side. If I need you, I'll call on you, but just stay away. I'm living my comfortable life. My family's got its comfortable existence. That's why we have this command. Don't forget. Make this a part of your life. Training, teaching, instilling who Christ is in your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, and your single as you're preparing to get married, make this a priority. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, we're going to be dismissed. You can go out there and take a look at it. I know there's a number of people here, and it's not gigantic, so if there's people in your way, you can get there at some point. But I encourage you, if you have questions about it, there's people out there that can answer some of your questions. But like I say, it'll change. It'll, it'll be different. There's another thing that's going to be added in a few weeks to it for the parents then on an annual basis with their kids. But my biggest prayer is that we take our faith home. We take it and we steal it 